The following is a workshop from the 2018 SDMI Leadership Conference in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thank you for listening. Hi, everybody. My name is Kyle Tyler. This is a theology of salvation in kids. Thanks for being here. Um, really quick about me. I am a children's pastor, and I was in full-time children's ministry for a number of years, for over about a decade, and then moved into a unique role where I do children's product creation and ministry coaching stuff for the Foundry. And they wanted someone from the field of children's ministry to come in and be the one who creates products for children's ministers, made by children's pastors for children's pastors. So that's what, uh, that's what I do at the Foundry. A couple of us came in from the field of ministry a couple years ago to do that. So I'm in kind of a unique pastoral ministry position. Still uh, am a pastor at a local church as well. And what we're doing here is just come out of the way my thinking, if you were in my last workshop, I said the same thing. It's the way my own thinking and some of our team's thinking has been shaped and reshaped over the last few years. My own theology has been challenged um, and kind of whipped back and forth, you know, and you know, like you read a book or something and at the end of the book, you just like, Blah, like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know, I like, got challenges so much about what I was certain that I knew um, about theology or whatever. And I've had some, I've had a few of those moments in the last few years. And so anyway, some of that comes today. There are a couple of phrases in children's ministry that make me crazy. Uh, one of them, the hot button word, the word that no children's pastor ever wants to hear. Does anybody here work in children's ministry at all? Do you know the word? What's the word in children's ministry that we don't like to be called and we don't like to hear? We don't like the word babysitter, right? That's like the don't call children's pastor babysitter. You want to watch them explode. That's a good way to get it to happen. So we don't like that word babysitting. The other phrase that I don't like in children's ministry, it's kind of a buzz phrase for me. It kind of makes me bristle. It's the phrase kids are the church of tomorrow or kids are the church of the future. And it's always said with great intentions, right? But it makes me, it makes me go, excuse me, do you have an hour? Because uh, uh, I'd like to talk with you about that. Not five minutes. I'm going to need an hour. Um, this entire workshop is predicated on the idea that kids are the church of today. And if you struggle with that, maybe you won't struggle with that by the end of that. And if you're all on board with that, then I'm going to maybe give you some tools to help talk about that. But um, that's because kids can be Christian right now. We are not just training kids. Oh, look, it says text in the top. That's nice. Um, I guess I was supposed to put some text there. We're not just training kids to be Christians, okay? Kids can be Christians today, right now. What if our priority was helping kids be Christian today and not just being future planners? for Christians. Uh, I, I heard a camp speaker not long ago who was speaking as a, a children's evangelist. He was speaking at a kid's camp. And he kept talking about heaven over and over, heaven. And he was, and this was an altar call, right? And on his altar call, he said, if you, if you want to go to heaven, and, you know, it's very, I mean, it's serious, you know, and you're doing that altar call voice, kind of whispery into the microphone, you know, and, you know, if you want to go to heaven and you're just you're just not sure if 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 you 
uh, and he just kind of kept talking to, just talk about this bright future over and over and then he even said one thing that was just like and it was uh, it was if you think you're going to heaven but you just want to be sure come on forward and uh, I was making me bristle a little bit I was I was listening because heaven language with kids it just may not resonate when we're talking about salvation with kids and we begin just talking about heaven what we do is we kind of create this I better fall in line so I can stay in the line to get to heaven right and heaven is a usually prayerfully a long way away for kids heaven does not speak to unless we really I, I recognize that we can unpack the idea of the kingdom and the already not yet but just that's not often what we're doing when we're talking about heaven with kids and heaven does not speak to right now their relationship with Jesus right now heaven is is about the future right it's um, the sort of eschatological language that we often adopt when we're talking about salvation it just may not resonate with where kids are living right now today so um, kids can be Christian today and our language needs to be shaped in a way that addresses their Christianity their relationship with Jesus right now not just in the future so it's not just training. It's also not just what you know. And with kids, with discipleship in kids, it often becomes that, and we don't realize it until it's a little too late. Because we have all these big theology words that we like to use. Atonement, eternity, justification, repentance, original sin, regeneration, free will. We use these big theology terms and hey, I will, I will nerd out over theology with anybody. I love it. I love to study it. Um, I, um, it I believe our, our theology as children's leaders and just as pastors obviously just has to be uh, just absolutely on point and it impacts everything we do down to the littlest most boring mundane administrative part of our job our theology impacts us so I absolutely believe that but what we tend to do is we we try to replace our faith with this comprehensive understanding and commitment to a list of theological statements right and on their own, theological statements are not transformative. And when in children's ministry, we get these learning outcomes that often focus on facts. Okay, by the end of first grade, we expect our children to know this. And by the end of second grade, we expect our children to know this. And by the time they finish sixth grade, we expect our children to know this. So when they go into the youth group, they can look back and they have this set of facts that they have got down packs, right? It's solid. And that's, that's often where I, where I see learning outcomes go. And some, some churches, I don't know if your church does this, but some churches, you know, create a full set of learning outcomes for their kids that they want to hit. And there's nothing wrong with creating learning outcomes. But when we focus on this list of statements that we just need to be in line with these theological statements we miss transformative opportunities Al Truesdale who um, is a, an author really smart he's a seminarian uh, he says in his book square peg instead of faith being viewed as a personal relationship with God based on trust 
it is seen as a belief in or assent to true statements or propositions about God. That happens in children's ministry too. We have this list of true statements and propositions about God and uh, going hand in hand with that heaven language, we need to fall in line with this list of truths so we stay in the heaven line and we don't fall out. That's the kind of, that's the kind of um, salvation plan, as it were, that we, tend to, that we tend to lay out for kids. I'm trying to decide whether I should go forward to get out of your way or backward to get out of your way. Which one is better? Backwards better? Yeah, okay. You've been fine. I'm just seeing around you pretty well. Okay. Well, I can also, I can, I want to do what helps you. So. That is good. Is that good? Okay, great. So, uh, if, at, and I'm, if at any point I'm making you go, oh yeah? Well, what about, I'm, I'd love to discuss and chat about some of this. So, uh, hear me out, if you would. So, let me ask this question. Am I a Christian? I asked that question when I was a kid because my story is I grew up in the church and I always was a Christian, right? I was a I was I I I'm a pastor's kid and my whole childhood was based around the life of the church and my friends were in the church and I personally, this is my statement I am missing a provocative testimony in my story. I don't have one. I don't have that I crashed and burned lying on my back staring up with it and I said, God, just take me now. And instead, he's, I don't have that amazing story, right? I just have just always had this relationship with Jesus as far back as I can remember. And... I struggled with not having that story. When I got to college, when I got to Mid-America and I started to hear from these other kids and they're amazing, and people really celebrated their stories, right? When someone, no one ever got up to inspire us during chapel, uh, no one ever got up to inspire us by saying, well, I've always been a Christian, you know, and I grew up in the church and then everyone stands up and claps. No, it was the people who uh, got into drugs and got into gangs and got, and then they had, and then everybody's like, oh, wow, what a story. And those are super inspiring and they're amazing, but that's never been my story. I don't have that provocative testimony. So when was I not a Christian, I guess is a better question. Do you have kids? in your ministry that have that same testimony? And can you answer the question, when weren't they a Christian? J.D. Greer wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. It's one of those, yeesh, I don't know if I want to read this because I'm not interested in being challenged at such a deep level sort of books. And he says, perhaps they were raised in a Christian home and their awareness of Jesus' lordship grew over time. For them, it was more like they came to a point where they realized they believe rather than one in which they decided to believe. So that was more descriptive of my own story. Gordon Smith wrote a book called Beginning Well, which is, all, uh, which is um, a book about the theology of conversion. Phenomenal book. I recommend it highly. He said, 
We do not need to insist on defining the clear and undebatable boundary one would presumably cross and thus be defined as Christian. Conversion to Christianity might not be a decisive event. It could also be a gradual movement from outside to in based on a series of small decisions. This is the thing that began to shake me up. Wait, you mean there didn't necessarily have to be this huge crisis? I'm not a Christian and I've stepped over the line and now I am a Christian moment? Instead, maybe there is space for the always kids. We need to make space in our language for the kids who have always known themselves as Christian. When I was a kid, my mom would pray over my brother and I, and she would say these words, I pray that they would only always know themselves as Christian. And I don't think at the time she recognized how robust her theology was when she was praying this over us. I pray that they would only always know themselves as Christian. And they would look back on their life, and they would never ever see a time when they wouldn't define themselves as Christian. So I'm not saying that that crisis moment does not exist for some kids. Some kids have a decisive moment where they go, you're right, I have been living selfishly and I need to, I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus. But other kids, they look back, they're 12, they're 13, and they look back and they can't point to a moment when they decided, I wasn't a Christian before and then I was. They just look back at their childhood, at their whole life in the church, and they go, I've always loved Jesus. My parents loved Jesus. I was raised to love Jesus, and I just always have. Now, there are moments when they've chosen to go deeper, when they've made decisions for Jesus that take them to, uh, to a deeper place in their relationship with Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they went from the outside to in. So Kyle, they, yeah. um, because I'm probably a different generation, uh-huh. so help me understand that and explain to me what you just said. Mm-hmm. If we're all born with the same nature, mm-hmm. am I hearing you say that there are kids because, you know, that don't have that? No, no. No, absolutely not. And no, uh, because you say always kids. Mm -hmm. What's your definition of Christian? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Getting into that. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm kind of and I'm going there a little bit. And yeah, don't um uh um that that would be because we're not saved on our works. So you might be a good kid. Right raised in a Christian home. Right, but you still have to own a relationship with Jesus, right? right. Absolutely. And and to say otherwise would be would be heresy. That's what I mean. And you know, so I I promise I'm I'm not up here spouting heresy if I can avoid it. Uh, so um, you know, what I'm what I'm saying is rather than um, than having this moment where because for me I can't recall a moment Right, uh, I, I can't. There, I can't look back in my own life and and go. That was the moment that I went from not being Christian to being Christian. Rather, and I'm going to get there because I've got a couple quotes that might help with that. But uh, rather, we look at our posture of repentance. So, actually, in my last uh, in my last workshop, we um, we did a brief exegesis 
of uh, the Zacchaeus passage. And in that story, Zacchaeus does not ever say, uh, I, I, wanna, I wasn't planning, I wasn't planning to do this, but just, be, no, please, oh my gosh, no, don't apologize. I really want to be super clear with this because I know when I first started studying this, I, I asked a lot of questions uh, that, I, that I struggled with. So uh, they, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled, uh, you know, about Jesus, right? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. A son of Abraham is a Christian, part of the family of God. Zacchaeus did not say a prayer to become Christian. He postured himself in a place of repentance. He entered into this posture of repentance by saying, I will, I, I'll do these things, right? Repentance basically is stopping and going the other way, right? He, he postured himself to stop and go the other way. And he obviously had a crisis moment, but there was no special, I was a Christian and then I wasn't a Christian prayer that he prayed or anything like that. Rather, his posture of, the, uh, the posture of repentance uh, is in itself uh, salvific, and so let's let's go a little further, okay? So um, I've got I've got a couple quotes that I that I think might help us with that, and so I'm going there, and I would love to continue to talk about it. I really would. Um, so the ABCs. These are uh, this is like the classic children's approach to salvation. The ABCs of the gospel. Have you heard this before? Uh, admit. You are a sinner. Believe Jesus died for your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord. I've also heard believe in Jesus and confess your sins to him, however you want to do it. We struggle a little bit. I struggle, and I say we because a colleague of, I, a colleague of, my, of mine and I have uh, kind of been working through this for a while and struggle a little bit with the idea of the ABCs because... Uh, well, and not just the ABCs, but just kind of our classic approach to salvation in kids because there are some things about it that make it kind of difficult and there are some things about it that uh, the theology is not quite there. And let's get into a couple of those. One of the things that we often do in our classic approaches to kids and salvation is we use confusing metaphors like ask Jesus into your heart. Okay? That's, that, that's Christianese that all of us know and are very familiar with, right? When I say I've asked Jesus into my heart, we all go, oh, yes, good. That's, that's good. But for a kid who is a concrete thinker, a literal learner, ask Jesus into your heart is a metaphor that they have to try to figure out because Jesus does not literally come into our heart. Well, then we have to like unpack it. Okay, well, what I mean is the heart is the seat of our emotions, and, uh, that, right? and we have to go into this big unpacking. We have to try to explain the metaphor. So um, the other, th I mean, uh, honestly, even, even born again, which is biblical language, uh, is kind of metaphorical language uh, that kids are struggling with a little bit. Well, it'd be literally born again, you know, and Jesus had to explain to Nicodemus what born again meant. Well, trying to figure, trying, he's, Jesus is having to explain it to a Pharisee, 
Imagine trying to explain it to a five-year-old, right, who is a concrete, literal thinker. That's difficult to do. So if we could remove some of the metaphors that we're used to using in our normal Christian language, this could help us when we're talking about kids. And I'm not just going to tell us what's wrong. I'm going to tell us uh, maybe some of the ways that we can change our thinking, okay? Some of these, like the ABCs, they emphasize process over relationship. So... Um, we are focused on here's what you have to do to be saved, A, B, and C. If you do those three things, then you will be saved. Rather than focusing on your relationship with Jesus and being in love with him and how wonderful it is to be in a relationship with Jesus um, and what, what he does for us in a relationship and how we can be in a relationship, when we do things like, okay, Oh, you want to be a Christian, you know, and you kneel down with a five-year-old at the altar and you say, all you have to do is A, B, C, ask, believe, confess, or admit, believe, confess, or whatever they are. Uh, what we do is um, we emphasize the process of becoming a Christian rather than emphasizing the actual relationship with Jesus. J.D. Greer again. The posture, this is what I was talking about. What's your name? I'm sorry. Joy. Joy. Oh, joy. Okay. Joy, this is what I was talking about just a moment ago. The postures of repentance and faith are in themselves a cry for salvation. He hears the cry of your posture even if you don't voice the prayer. Nowhere does the Bible say we have to voice a prayer to be saved. The posture of repentance and belief saves. So that's kind of the Zacchaeus story. Zacchaeus didn't say a specific prayer rather he postured himself in a place of repentance and Jesus said you are a true son of Abraham in this posture of repentance that that saves so rather rather than me as a kid who grew up in the church trying to look back at that moment when I crossed over from unchristian to Christian I can rather instead I can ask myself am I postured in a place of repentance now. And if I am, then I don't have to go back and try to find the moment. Because I am Christian. I love Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. He has forgiven me. He has saved me. Even if I didn't pray a very specific prayer, like the sinner's prayer or whatever. It depends on what you call it. It might depend on where you grew up. But those things focus on steps that it takes to be saved, and they draw a line that say, you're outside and you're inside, and until you have taken these steps, you cannot go from outside to in. It kind of talks about Christianity with nuts and bolts and not with outcomes, advantages, the fullness of creation, living into the people that we were created to be. Instead, it gets into the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, a couple of other things that this ABC and kind of classic approaches do, they're frozen in time. They're punctual. The sinner's prayer happens or the ABCs happen, and then it's over. It's not continual. It's not perpetual. Rather, a posture of repentance is something that is continual and a posture where we talk about when we use relationship language is a continual thing finally uh this this classic approach they lack a christology i just wrote uh an article on this for holiness today i think it comes out next month so um i 
so I did joy I, I, I somehow made it through uh, made it through their filter <laughs> where they were able to uh, they were like I, they're gonna publish it so uh, so I think that um, I think that we're going the right direction and so hopefully hopefully I'm, I'm making sense here um, the, uh, the ABCs, or the, some of these classic approaches, they focus on our soteriology, which if that's an unfamiliar word to you, that's, that's what happened on the cross. But our Christology, that is an understanding of who Jesus is. And what happened on the cross? Well, we focus on that when we admit, believe, confess. We focus on what he did for us. But in those words, there is no conversation about who Jesus is for us now and going forward. There's no, there's no language for that in, those, in that conversation. ABCs of salvation is simply a plan of salvation opposed, as opposed to an unveiling of a beautiful relationship that we get to enter into. So, so... Whew. That stuff's heavy on me. And I want to be, I, I am an, I'm a Nazarene, born and bred. I'm fourth generation, card carrying. Um, and, and I'm, uh, I, I say that to say I am, I am as committed to our faith tradition as I can be. I am a, I'm a Wesleyan, uh, I'm an ordained elder, and, and I, I love being a part of this tribe. So what I am wanting to do is just get us thinking in ways that stay Wesleyan and maybe are even more Wesleyan than some of the classic approaches that we've grown accustomed to and are more theologically robust than perhaps what we've grown accustomed to. But because they're not what we're accustomed to, they, they make us bristle a little bit. So. I give you permission to feel a little uncomfortable, okay? You have my permission because I am still, uh, I, I, I felt uncomfortable as we were working through this until we landed at a place where we could finally take this deep breath and go, Whew, we feel really good about this. But man, it was, it was a process getting there. And that's where this new language came from. We wanted language that focused on the relationship with Jesus rather than the steps that go from being an outsider to an insider. We wanted language that was ongoing, perpetual. We wanted language that people could use to refer to themselves right now as opposed to just refer to it years ago. Well, when I became a Christian way back when, as opposed to I am a Christian, instead of focusing on what happened back then, which may be a great story, Lamoris Crawford's story, phenomenal. I, he needs to hearken back to that because it is inspirational, right? But again, someone that has a story more similar to mine, the more inspirational parts of the story may happen later, and they may not have to do with a crisis moment, but rather something that has happened as I've continued to posture myself in a place of repentance. Uh, so... Um, we wanted ongoing language, okay? We wanted things that, we wanted something that was theologically robust, that was Wesleyan, and here is what we came up with. Savior, King, and friend.
Here's how it works. It's about how Jesus loves us and how we love him. Okay? So this language focuses on his love for us and it focuses on our love for him. So it's not just what he did for us, it's also what he does for us, which is important. Okay? Not just what he did for us, but also what he does for us. And our response to that. How he loves and how we love. Okay? I thought that was the big reveal. Focuses on who rather than what. Okay, so yeah, relational language, again, which I've said several times. This is focusing on who Jesus is rather than all of the what kind of things, all of the historical facts, all of the process language that we have to focus on. Instead, instead of, uh, instead we focus on these things. So Jesus loves us. Seriously? Maybe I didn't, maybe I did Okay, I thought I broke it down. Apparently I didn't. All right, this is the big reveal. Uh, Savior, King, and Friend. So I'll say it. Apparently I didn't put it in the slides like I thought I did. Jesus loves us as our Savior. He forgives us. He sacrificed for us. Nothing we ever do can outgrow his love. He loves us as a Savior. Number one. Number two, he loves us as a king. He protects us. He leads us. He provides for us. That's what a king does for a king's people. And that's what Jesus does for us as king. Protects us, leads for us. That's not all he does, but that's just some things we can focus on here. He protects us. He leads us. He provides for us. He loves us as a friend. He never leaves us. He listens to us. He cares deeply for us. He loves us in these, th in these three important ways, as a savior, a king, and as a friend. And basically, every aspect of our relationship with Jesus can hearken back to one of these, one of these three ways to talk about it. He is our savior, and our king, and our friend. And then we can respond using the same language. I love Jesus as my savior. I can give my whole life to him like he gave to me. I can ask for forgiveness. I can accept his love. That's how I love Jesus as my savior. So he loves me, he forgives me, he sacrificed for me, and I can accept that love and ask for that forgiveness and give my whole life. I can love him as my king Again, I'm sorry I didn't put all this on here. Um, I can love Jesus as my king. So again, as a king, he protects us and leads us and provides for us. Well, in our response, we can obey him. We can worship him. We can be humble in our response to who he is as our king. And he loves us, like I said, as a friend, never leaving us, always listening to us, caring deeply for us. We can respond in our love to him as a friend. We can talk to him. We can follow him. We can introduce him to others. Right? So he loves us as a savior and a king and a friend, and we respond in our own love by loving him back as our savior and king and friend. And every way that he loves us, 
is part of who he is as Savior, King, and Friend. And every way that we love him back is part of how we love him as our Savior, King, and Friend. Does all that make sense? Does any, do we, I mean, seriously, if we need to stop and clarify, we can. Because um, I, I want us to kind of be on the, same, on the same page here. So then I had, that's, where, that's the list I started. So some advantages of this language. Like I started to say, he focuses, this language focuses on the who rather than the what. It is relationship driven. And it's a two-way relationship. It's not just what we did, what he does for us. A, B, C focuses a lot on what he did for us on the cross. And it gives us language to confess. But there's no language of love there. Admit, believe, confess. Where's the L? Savior, King, and Friend is easy to remember. Obviously, A, B, C is really easy to remember. So when we are thinking through this, we're talking about, all right, we're talking about kids. This needs to be something that we can remember. It's three quick, easy words. The problem with something like ABC or other mnemonic devices that we have created in children's ministry, we can't be so focused on the mnemonic device that it, has, it becomes this anemic thing, you know, like, like um, like what I feel like ABC has kind of become, where the mnemonic device is great, ABC, we're not gonna ever forget that, but the actual theological application um, is, is more important than, than the mnemonic device that helps us remember it. So we often, we abbreviate it as SKF, it's all over the place in the language that we use, Savior, King, Friend, Savior, King, Friend, Savior, King, Friend. You say it a few times and then you don't forget it. Um, some other advantages, uh, Savior King Friend is perpetual, it's ongoing, because relationships are perpetual, they're ongoing. Savior King Friend is not about just what happened a while back, it's, what, it's what's happening now. It's not, did you love Jesus as your Savior King and Friend when you were five and prayed that prayer, no, it's do you love Jesus as your Savior, King, and Friend? It continues. It's ongoing. It removes metaphors. Jesus actually is our Savior. There's no metaphor there. Jesus actually is a king. He actually is a friend. We don't have to come up with metaphors that help explain these things. They are what they are. Abstract or concrete thinkers can understand what a king is. They can understand what a friend is. And once you explain what a savior is, because that's not maybe a word that they use often, but they can understand what it is to be a savior. We don't need extra metaphors to help us understand these things. Also, it's Trinitarian. <clears throat> the three persons of the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we uh, often will uh, associate with these three ideas. Father, King, the Son, our Savior, and a friend, and a friend Spirit, another advocate who comes and is a part of our life going forward. Right? 
So it's, it's Trinitarian. So my friend's daughter, she's about 12 years old, and she asked, she was really struggling with her own identity as a Christian. And it was heartbreaking because she was asking the question, Dad, I don't know if I really am a Christian. And, I mean, this girl was, I mean, she, you could just, you just knew she loved Jesus. It, it, it shined through in the way that she lived her life, and she was, she was selfless, and she was, had been a part of the church her whole life, and uh, she, had, she was a part of a small group of other kids her age that met each week, and she had a prayer life, and uh, she was asking, am I Christian, am I Christian? And her dad said, well, unpack that for me. Tell me why you're asking. And then she said, I don't know if I said the prayer right. And he began to realize that all those years ago when she had uh, prayed to become a Christian because that's what he, uh, I mean, he was telling her because that's what we often tell kids. Well, do you want to ask, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? We'll ask kids that, you know. Well, I asked, I ask, you know, I was, I've been studying this stuff over the last few years. I asked my own four-year-old that years ago. And... So he had had that similar conversation with her all those years ago. And here, come to find out, for like the last six years or whatever, she had this, it was unclear to her whether or not she got it right, whether or not she said the words correctly. She wasn't sure whether she had stepped over the threshold because the language that we had given was so focused on the process, and she thought, what if I screwed up the process? So we began thinking, what if we take the focus off the process and we put it on the relationship? So we can help other kids like her know. We can help them see what it really means to be Christian now. And help her, like, give her, I, I don't know, uh, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you grew up like me in uh, a small, conservative, Nazarene church, I gave my heart to Jesus about 600 times. Any, amen? Anybody? Anybody testify with that? Pretty much every time I messed up. I was like, oh, shoot, I fell out of line, and now I'm not in the heaven line anymore, and i gotta, I got to say the prayer again. i got to re-enter the process so I can get back in line. That's not, that's, that's bad Wesleyan theology. But it's what I knew. And it's still what a lot of our kids know today. And a lot of them, I think, are walking around. And what we've, what we've uncovered is a lot of them are walking around worried that they've stepped out of line and they haven't done the right thing to get back in line. And they're holding that. And it's, it's a weight on their chest. And we want to offer new language to help them be able to say, wait, wait, instead of, instead of asking yourself about that time all those years ago, Ask yourself right now, do you love Jesus as your Savior? 
Have, I mean, has he, has he forgiven you? Do you love him as your king? Do you obey him? Do you follow him? Do you realize that he, he is your protector and your provider? Well, what about your friend? Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him every day? Have you told other people that he could, they could be friends with him too? Because if so, like Zacchaeus, you're postured in repentance now. Jesus is your Savior, King, and friend, and you are Christian. You don't have to be afraid every little slip-up going you know, uh, through your adolescence and everything that you have fallen out of line and you're not in the heaven line anymore and you've got to re-enter the process to get back in line because you are postured in a way that says I love Jesus. Jesus is my Savior and my King and my friend and I love him as my Savior and my King and my friend. So this, uh, this language ha has begun to um, uh, enter into everything that I do. I, I, when I spoke at camps this summer, I speak at kids' camps and stuff, and when I did, when I had altar calls, I used Savior King friend language with the kids. Um, when I talk with my own kids at home, I use Savior King friend language. I've removed asking Jesus into your heart kind of language. Uh, and I am instead, I'm just going, I'm trying to go straight at it with this new language that we've created. Shameless plug. We, as we were creating this, we wanted to give people a tool that could help them talk with kids using this language and made space for A, kids who are brand new to the faith and who did have a moment where they said, I have not been Christian, and I want to I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus and still make space for the kids who had grown up in the church and were postured toward repentance as long as they could remember. And Jesus was their forgiver and is their forgiver. We wanted to make space for both of those sorts of conversations, but give people, pastors, parents, whatever, a tool that they could help have this conversation with kids and help go deeper in the discipleship conversation. That's where this book came from. It's called My Relationship with Jesus. Um, there are no fancy metaphors in it. It uses Savior King friend language. It takes the Savior King friend language and breaks it down similar to some of the ways that I have here, except for it does it in a kid-friendly way because it's a book that you're supposed to read with kids and study and write in with kids. That's the idea. We had a camp this summer by 400 of them, and they distributed to at a campground, and they distributed to every kid who uh, entered into a relationship with Jesus at their at their camps that summer, and they would give uh, the kids. Uh, one of these books that they could work through. So if you want to look at this, we've got some downstairs. Um, that, again, that I, I know that's a shameless plug. It's, I'm, not, I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to talk about this stuff because it really, really matters to me as a children's pastor. Um, but we did want to create some sort of resource that would help people have this conversation. If you buy into this language and go, yeah, this makes sense to me. I get it. I want to start using this language. I get why it's important then this could be a tool that could help you have those conversations. So I know that I've laid a lot out there and I've tried to pour it on and we've got like five minutes left and I'm interested. If you guys have feedback or if something is unclear, I, I would be glad to, to try to help you or maybe we can process it together. Maybe there's some amazing seminarian in here that uh, I was unaware of who, uh, who uh, 
wants to add something absolutely brilliant to the conversation or, or whatever. So I'm interested in your feedback. Okay. Yes, so please. I have one, I, my concern is this, and so I, I, I love the same frame, but you know, the ABCs, it's pretty much three scriptures. This is why we, we do the ABCs. Um, I am 100% against suggesting that we have to buy books in order to learn how to share our faith. So what are your scriptures that point me to these three thoughts? Because that is what's going to be what my, my teachers or what I was going to be passing on to someone else's scripture. Yep. And I, and I, so I don't, want, I don't want the book. I want the scripture that yeah. passes me that thought. Yeah, I can, uh, I can do that for you. Um, I, didn't, uh, I didn't put them in this presentation. I actually thought about... About putting them in there, but I also just uh, cut for time here. But we did, we did put them in the book. We uh, we dig into scripture a little bit together. So, give me just a second here, and I can answer that question for you. Okay. So Jesus is our Savior, First uh, John 4.9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son in the world that we might live through him, our Savior. Jesus is our King, Psalm 100, 2-3. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come to him with songs of joy. Know that the Lord is God. He made us. We belong to him. We are his people. Jesus is our friend, John 14.26. But the Father will send the friend in my name. This is NIRV. But the Father will send the friend in my name to help you. The friend is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. Not every one of these scriptures, you know, uses the word Savior or King or friend, just like we look for scriptures to help us talk about the Trinity that don't say the word Trinity, right? So, uh, so there's just a few, and I actually have uh, quite a few more. But um, you also, I mean, because I'm not, you know, if you want, I've got a couple pages of scripture here. Uh, you're welcome to look at the book and not buy the book. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I'll buy the book. I'm just saying, I, I know for for me to pass this information on, I don't want to make, I don't want, to, I don't want people to think that we're trying to sell a product because that's a really negative thing for me. I like to teach them the Bible. If they want a product, then I can say, hey, this is available. Yeah, and that's why I, I'm trying, I try to say, I really don't want, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't book this workshop so I could try to sell no, you a product no, at the I end. I just, I wanted to, it was the best way that we could, you know, in the position that I'm in, I was like, wow, well, let's come up with, we can, we wanted to come up with a way that would help people, and, and this is that, but please look through these scriptures, and I have more, if you want to, uh, if you want to give me your info, I'd be happy to send you everything I have. Yes, ma'am. When you were doing your research and all this, did you go through the child evangelism approach to bringing children to Christ? The child evangelism approach, uh, uh, is that a specific approach? I, I... Well, it's very similar to this. Okay. There, is, there is a little book, uh -huh. and there are lots of scriptures, uh -huh. and it's a counseling time for children after they've listened to the Bible story. Uh -huh. And it takes about 10 to 15, 20 minutes okay. to counsel each child individually and lead them to, to Christ. Oh, okay. I'm unfamiliar with that approach. Okay. But I, yeah, I, I thought maybe that research you would have that and other forms mm -hmm. and we uh we i mean we have looked at several forms like i said you know we've looked at we looked at different evan evangelical tools that are out there you know and 
Evangicube, Evangibal, uh, the different sinners' prayers that uh, that were out there in formats. You know, there were there are suggested prayers, prayed this prayer. Then we looked at the ABCs and several different things like that. So we, but we missed that one. That would be good. So, I've, yeah, I've attended workshops from that. And it's very, very good, and it's similar. Okay, good. Sounds good. And Kyle, I think you know as you as you were teaching. Mm -hmm. I received this very positive. Oh, good. And at the same time, I'm assuming you're probably the same as most of my three children that were raised mm -hmm. in the Nazarene Church. Um, two went into ministry. All of them graduated from Olivetta. And I've heard of it. Your language is exactly what I'm hearing from them mm -hmm. and the resistance. Mm -hmm. um, two of them have left the Nazarene Church. Mm -hmm. Um, part of it's because of the teaching of more of the guilt, yeah. the heaven and the hell. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, when you're sharing, as my children share with me, because I'm a pastor, full-time ministry, um, it's like, how do you bridge the two together? Mm -hmm. Because um, in my generation, we were raised under that teaching. Yeah. And I see the truth of it now, but at the same time, when we're having, trying to have healthy conversation, like at the beginning when you were teaching, of course, my whistle came up because it was like, I'm feeling like you're attacking the generation before, mm -hmm. even though I think I know your heart, you're not. But at the same time, I struggle with my own children right? because it's almost like they're blaming me. Yeah. Because they left the Nazarene Church because they didn't feel like, and part of me is like, get over it. Mm -hmm. I was under a different generation, and it was even worse. Yeah, I was at the altar all the time. You know, my kids were at the altar all the time. Right. You know that type of mentality. So I, I'm hearing the truth in this, but how do you, how do you bridge the two to, together without conflict? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a great thought, and um, and when do you stop blaming one denomination? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, my son graduated from Olivet, Nazarene pastor ordained, goes to Duke. Mm -hmm. You know, um, gets his master's and everything, and he tried to straddle the two and, and certain teachings and things. But you know, I come to the point I don't care if they're in the Nazarene church anymore. Sure. As long as what you're saying, they love God, yeah. and they're they're living that posture of, you know, I've gotten over that. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, many years ago, I would have would would not be like, you're gonna do what? <laughs> so I didn't mean to. No, please. And I'm I'm sorry. And if anybody else felt that way, I did not want to come across like I was attacking any generation. I really do. I mean, right. I like I, said, I, 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 I love the Nazarene. I thank yes. you. I appreciate that. I I love the Nazarene Church. Love it. Um, and on all generations of it. I recognize that there is there's the American holiness movements, uh, which was uh, you know kind of a, a, a Pentecostal movement that there there are some some steps away from from West from Wesleyanism that um, there, there was some reformed theology that kind of snuck its way into the Nazarene Church over, the, over those years, right? And that's not 
uh, that's not a take on any uh, generation. That's just that's just what happens, you know, uh, in in that movement. And um, I think there is kind of a movement now back toward uh, more a bit more of a, a true Wesleyanism that is still Nazarene, you know, and we're a pretty big tent uh, that makes a lot of space for that. So anyway, I just want to say. Um, if I'm if I'm your kid generation, then you're my parents' generation. I love I love my parents, and they're good, strong. My my mom is a Nazarene pastor, and uh, they're they're good people who I respect greatly. And so, uh, and I appreciate you sharing your heart and being vulnerable. And um, I don't we you know everybody's gonna have to go do their thing, but uh, I would I'd be happy to talk a little bit more about that. And I do think that we are. We are a, a theo- Wesleyanism is a theology of hope, and um, that kind of that guilt-ridden theology. You know, if we can if we can begin to change the way that we talk even to our adult right. kids and other adults, you know, and put a hopeful language of relationship in place of a guilt-ridden language process, you know, and, and if you don't follow the process, then you're out, and if if we can move from a bounded set, I don't know if you've studied bounded and centered sets, but if we can move from a bounded set, which draws a line around the Christian church and says some people are on the outside and some people are on the inside, and unless you cross the line, uh, and instead Scott Daniels uh, breaks down a centered set in a beautiful way where uh, instead we put Jesus at the center and he is the deep well, the deep water that draws the flock in, and instead of drawing a line, now the line goes away, and instead some people are far away, and we're drawing them in, and some people are closer, and those are the ones that are helping call the other ones in. And when we remove that line, there's the theology of hope that we're talking about, right? Because now your kids who are further out here, there's no line. There's not this big wall they have to cross. Rather, there's this deep well, and we just are going to keep keep drawing them into the love of Jesus. So uh, that's probably nothing you haven't heard before, but... Uh, I believe there's great, great hope in our theology. So, um, and I hope this language makes space for that. And maybe it can help you even as we're talking to adults who, who need to have this conversation. So, anyway, they're waving me out. So, thanks for being a part of it. I'd love to talk with anybody. I'm downstairs at the Foundry booth.